0: we're going to explore uh, this passage uh, from John 6, the feeding of the 5,000, looking at these three themes of prayer, uh, serving, and giving. And We're just going to go through them one at a time. If you want to have the passage open, uh, do have a look at John chapter 6, verses 1 to 15. So, at the beginning of this passage, we meet Jesus on a mountainside at the far side uh, of Lake Galilee. Uh, He and his disciples are just uh, relaxing, hanging out, retreating uh, from the crowds of people who are around them. And then something catches Jesus' attention. Maybe there's something in the peripheral of his vision that catches his eye, and he looks up, and he sees the crowds that he's been trying to escape from uh, coming towards him, these crowds of people coming towards him. And he turns to Philip. Uh, we don't know exactly why he turns to Philip in this instance. It's probably because uh, Philip is from that part of Galilee. He's from that region and so he might know uh, what's around in that area. And he turns to Philip and he asks this, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? Where should we buy bread for these people to eat? Maybe Jesus assumes that Philip will know where he can buy bread for this crowd of people to eat. But if you think about it, the whole question is completely ridiculous Even if Philip did know that there was a bakery nearby, I doubt that there'd be a bakery nearby there, or in fact in the whole area that would have enough bread to hand to feed the number of people that were in the crowd that were coming towards Jesus. We read that there were 5,000 men in that crowd. That was just the men. Then there's the women. So we can suspect that there'll be about 5,000 women as well. So we're on about 10,000. And they didn't have like childcare, nurseries, childminders in those days. Uh, And so all the children will have come along for the ride too. And remember, they didn't have birth control in the same way that we do. So I expect there were a lot of children in that crowd. So we're talking about 20,000 people in this crowd. Jesus is asking Philip, where can we buy bread to feed 20,000 people? And Philip is immediately struck by the task, the impossibility of the task that Jesus is asking him. And he says this, "Um, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each of them to have a bite or even a crumb. It's impossibly saying there's absolutely no way, Jesus, that we can feed these people. He doesn't even get to thinking, where on earth will we find a bakery uh, with enough bread to feed this many people? He's just struck by the impossibility of the, of the task. And so why does Jesus ask such a ridiculous request of Philip? John says in verse 6 this, He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Jesus already knew what he was going to do. But he puts this impossible task before Philip because he wants to test him, because he wants Philip to realize that he can't solve the problem. He wants Philip to trust in him. He wants his disciples' faith to expand. He wants Philip to surrender to him. Confession time at 11:38 this morning. I have an issue with pride. Now, I often think I'm right. I actually know I'm right. Um, You've got to feel sorry for Dave. He has to work with me on a daily basis. I am generally right, though, aren't I, Dave? Uh, (laughs) And uh, my husband, John, he has to live with me uh, as well. Uh, I I just think, you know, hey, I've got this. I've got it. I have this tendency towards pride. And sometimes uh, my pride means that I struggle to admit uh, that I can't do things on my own uh, and as a confident person i've noticed that there's a fine line between being confident and actually being proud there's a fine line between confidence and pride but i know that i'm not the only person in this room who has an issue with pride i suspect that actually nearly all of us in this room have some issue with pride we think we can manage on our own we think we can sort our lives out by ourselves for some of us it doesn't look like overconfidence but it actually looks like a sort of unworthiness an unworthiness or a deep insecurity but either way pride tells us that we can't do it. we can do it on our own or it tells us that we're unworthy for God or anyone else to bother with us. Pride makes us say we're okay, even if we're actually not. Pride tells us that we can't lose face, that we can't possibly admit that things really aren't okay or that I'm struggling. Ultimately, pride prevents us from coming to God and saying, God, I can't do this. I can't do this. I need you. I can't do this on our own. And the challenge for us is to surrender, is to surrender our pride to God and say, we can't do this on our own. And when we surrender all this to God, that's when we get on our knees and we start to pray, when we realize that we haven't got it sorted, that we can't do it on our own. But unfortunately for lots of us, it's our last resort. We get on our knees and start bringing those things to God as a last resort, rather than a first resort. Prayer is all about surrender. Jesus knew what those people on that hillside coming towards him needed. He knows the seemingly impossible tasks or challenges that are before us as individuals or before us as a church. He knows our pain and our struggle. Psalm 139 tells us uh, that actually God knows us. He searched us and he knows us. He knows everything about us. He knows the things that are filling us with joy. He knows our relationships. He knows us as a church and he knows the challenges that are before us as a church He knows uh, the wrestling that we're going through at the moment uh, to do with our future strategy. He knows the budget shortfalls that we have. He knows uh, that we're going to have Alpha starting this week and he knows the people that we're thinking of inviting along. He longs for us to surrender all these things to him in prayer and invite him to get involved. That's why as a church we believe that we're called to pray first. It's all about surrendering everything to God. Jesus knew how he was going to tackle this problem of feeding these 20,000 people. But he wanted his disciples to surrender it to him, to trust him, to recognize that only Jesus had the power to solve this seemingly impossible situation. And so he calls us to pray. Secondly, uh, Jesus calls us to serve. Uh, When I was growing up, I uh, lived in Shipley. It's actually got a Y on the end, but you say Shipley if you live in Shipley, and it's in West Yorkshire. And just down the road from Shipley is Bingley, and uh, and Bingley uh, is the home of the Bradford and Bingley Building Society. And on a regular basis, I used to walk past this building, which is on the screen, uh, the Bradford and Bingley headquarters in Bingley, and uh, and I never really noticed it. It was just sort of there. Didn't really notice it until about 15-20 years ago uh, there was one of these uh, things that came out and this building the Bradford and Bingley headquarters in Bingley uh, was nominated within the 10 of the UK's most ugly buildings You can see why you're with me it was built between 72 and 1974 and you can tell it was vile I hadn't really noticed it before but then after it became it was nominated as one of the UK's uh, 10 most ugliest buildings I just started to notice it all the time and I used to think why hasn't anybody done anything about this building it is disgusting and I got to the point where if I was on the bus passing it I would look the other way uh, because it's such a horrible building it is now no longer your. We're delighted to know it was pulled down by Sainsbury's uh, to build a new Sainsbury's. <laughs> and I had one of those moments with this passage from John 6. I know it. I've seen it. You know, I've been a Christian for 38 years. I have read this so many times that sometimes things are so familiar that you don't notice what's going on. And when I was reading this passage on Tuesday uh, to prepare for today, one verse really jumped out at me that I hadn't really noticed before. And it's verse five. Jesus looked up and he saw a great crowd coming towards him. Jesus looked and he saw. Jesus sees the great crowd. Jesus sees the people. He sees them. And he sees that actually a lot of of them are there because They live mundane subsistence existences. Life is tough and hard for them on a daily basis. And so he knows that a whole load of them are there because actually they're enjoying a lot of the pizzazz of this uh, famous person doing miracles and speaking amazing things. He sees their motives, but he sees them, and he sees their hunger. Jesus sees the people, He sees their hunger and he has compassion on them. And so he feeds them. Jesus serves the people with selfless compassion. And there's something else going on here as well. He doesn't do this on his own. Jesus invites his disciples to come and take part with him, to join in with the miracle. He says to them, how are we going to feed all these people? He's saying, "Come, come to his disciples. Come and be part of this." And they take uh, Jesus' invitation and they start to serve alongside him and join in with what he's doing. We know that Philip has a little think about how on earth he's going to make his his wages stretch to buy the bread to feed all these people. And then we find out that Andrew uh, heads off and starts to see if anybody's got any food and he comes back with this little boy who has uh, two uh, little pickled fish and five little barley loaves. Uh, It's hardly a feast for the masses, but they want to join in with what Jesus is doing. And at some point in all this, the disciples must have realized that Jesus has this situation under control because they start to trust him. Uh, they start to just do what he's asking them to do without questioning what's going on. Uh, they get everybody seated on the grass. Uh, and Jesus gives thanks and he t- starts to distribute uh, the fish and the bread to these 20,000 people that are sat down on the grass on this mountainside by the side of Lake Galilee. And the disciples start to join in serving uh, with Jesus. And then there is just so much, and there's so much food that there's loads left over as well. And so Jesus says, go and collect up what's left over. And the disciples join in and start to collect up what's left over. It wasn't anybody else's job to feed the people or to clear up the mess that was left over at the end. Jesus wanted his disciples to share in his miracle. And that meant they all had to join in in serving as well. As a church, Jesus invites us all daily to join in with what he is doing in the world and through the church. Sometimes we can have a tendency uh, as people uh, in a church to think that church is actually somebody else's responsibility, especially in a church like this where there's a staff team, there are people employed uh, to make church happen in a sense. Uh, in a church the size of ours, there are actually 900 regular attendees at P's and G's. And so we sort of think to ourselves, well, there are 900 other people that could be on the welcome team or the coffee teams. Uh, there are 900 other people that could be helping with our children's ministry or our youth work. Uh, there are 900 other people that could be a mentor or join the alpha cooking team. There are 900 other people who could be helping at Soul Food or in the caravan or whatever. But if you and I have responded to Jesus' call to all of us, follow me, follow me, then that means uh, that we all have the joy and the responsibility of sharing in Jesus' mission every day, serving him in our places of work, serving him where we spend our every day, serving him in this church. Whoever we are, we all have gifts to bring to the party. It's no mistake that that the Bible talks about the church being the body of Christ. We need each other because we're all different. Some of us are sat here thinking, but I haven't got anything to bring. Every single person has something to contribute to serving. And as Jesus demonstrates, we're to serve by feeding the hungry. As a church, we're committed to doing this together uh, through our soul food ministry on a Saturday evening uh, where we put on a banquet for those who are homeless or marginalized in our society. But we also feed the hungry in the projects and the charities and the organizations that we support, like Tier Fund and World Vision as well. We also feed the hungry uh, by offering hospitality ourselves, by opening our homes and welcoming people in. On that hillside by Lake Galilee, Jesus invites his disciples to share in his ministry, to join with him in serving, to bring about transformation to people's lives. We're called to serve. And lastly, we're called to give. I came across uh, this quote as I was preparing for today that really resonated with me. It says this, Our response to the Lord's testing is too often the same as Philip's. We measure the need, quantify our inadequate resource, and resign in hopelessness. I felt like this at the beginning of the week when I was watching uh, all the pictures and images and news reports that were coming out of Indonesia following the um, earthquake and tsunami there. That sense of hopelessness. I'm sat here in Edinburgh. What on earth am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to respond to the suffering, the need that is so evidently there on the other side of the world? Yeah, I can pray about it, and I did pray about it, but what else can we do? In March, as a church, we gave £42,000 on our Micah Fund gift day. Uh, And lots of that money is used to support charities and projects around the UK that are doing incredible work. But we always reserve some of the money uh, that is given on the MICA Fund gift day uh, to be able to respond to the disaster emergency uh, committee appeals that are put out if there's a disaster or an emergency of some sort around the world. And so one of our responses uh, to the Indonesia earthquake uh, appeal was that when the DEC put out appeal on Thursday, we were able to respond immediately on your behalf as a church and send £6,000 to that appeal. Sometimes we can resign in hopelessness and sometimes we can do something about it. God can Miraculously transform our little contributions into something substantial and transformational for him. The disciples were faced with this problem how on earth are we supposed to feed this crowd of 20,000 people? But the feeding of the 5,000 reminds us this that we never know exactly what Jesus will do, but we do know that he will often do something that we've never thought of. We never know exactly what Jesus is going to do, but we can know that he often does things that we've never thought of. Lots of you uh, know what I'm about to say already, but it's, it's such a great story. I'm going to tell you it again. Uh, last October, November, a few of us uh, from the staff were away. Uh, and while we were away, we were thinking about our resources as a church. And we had a real sense that God was calling us uh, to pay off the £155,000 of debt uh, that we had left over from when we did the uh, building project, transforming this building, which cost £7 million. But there's and we felt that it was holding us back in terms of being able to move forward uh, with our strategy. We had no idea how we were going to start to approach uh, paying off this debt, but we just felt that God was saying, you've got to get rid of this debt. Within a few days of coming back uh, from that conference, that time away, uh, somebody from the church who had not a clue uh, the conversations that we'd been having uh, offered to pay off 50% of that debt. And then we brought it to the church and said, we're going to have, the, this is what's happened. And we think this is what God has said to us. And, and so we're gonna, we think we're going to have a gift day, maybe in May, uh, to try and pay off the rest of it cause we felt God was challenging us to pay it off before June. Within a few weeks, that debt had just been paid off by people responding generously and paying it off. Generous sacrificial giving often prompts us to respond generously and sacrificially ourselves, doesn't it? Jesus knows exactly what he will do, but it's often the things that we've never thought of. That little boy, that little boy, the only part he played was his willingness to hand over his little pat lunch, his two fishes, and his five loaves. That's all he had but it was generous and sacrificial, and Jesus transformed it into a banquet to feed 20,000 people. Sometimes we can hold on to stuff so closely, we perhaps become so worried or scared about having enough, so concerned about what's going to happen next week or next year, that we're scared of surrendering our little to God. We're waiting, perhaps, to have everything sorted, everything in order, to have spare cash in our pockets, in our bank accounts, before we're willing to commit ourselves to God in the way that that little boy did, handing over everything that he had. And I remember being challenged about this when I was a student, and I was living off the grand total of £12 a week at the time. And I felt challenged to actually start giving, uh, even though I, was only, I only had £12 a week. And it was because I knew that if I didn't start to give when I only earned £12 a week, I'd find it even more difficult to start giving when I earned a proper income. We're so excited at the moment uh, about where God may be taking us as a church uh, we're pushing forward, developing our new strategy, uh, trying to work out where God wants to take us, where He's challenging us, where He's calling us to live out our vision uh, to be whole life disciples, taking the whole of the gospel to the whole of society through churches of grace. And if we're con- going to continue to do this, if we're going to continue to be whole life disciples and plant churches, then we need the resources to do whatever he calls us to do. Just going to share some statistics with you. Uh, when we planted mustard seed, uh, which was our last church plant 18 months ago, uh, we gave £54,000 uh, towards uh, Rich, who's leading that Here's income uh, for the first 18 months or so and various other things. The 40 or so people that went with mustard seed also, rightly, uh, took their giving with them to mustard seed. And that was approximately 6,000 pounds a month. And so essentially planting mustard seed over the last 18 months has cost us 160,000 pounds. And that was right. And that is exciting that we've been able to do that. And that we believe that God is continuing uh, to call us to make whole life disciples In the next year's budget, which starts in about two weeks' time, uh, this uh, whole life discipleship will cost us £161,000 in the next year. Our social transformation ministries uh, will cost £112,000 in the next year and that is only doing the basics of what we do week in week out running soul food bees and teas alpha things like that uh, our counseling service not actually starting any other new ministries at all which we hope to do and none of these numbers include uh, the cost of running the buildings or our operations staff either we're so so grateful uh, for the generous and sacrificial giving uh, by people in this church it is truly incredible But in order to grow and to move forward, we need a significant increase in giving. As I mentioned earlier, there are 900 uh, regular attendees at our church. We actually have about 1,672 people on our database, but there are 900 regular attendees. 665 to 700 are adults. I can't remember the exact figure. I think it's 665 are adults. That breaks down into 432 different households represented. And of those households... 300 of those households are regular givers. If you're not giving, we would love you to prayerfully consider whether God is calling you to give regularly to the church. Over the past 12 months, 70 of you have either become givers for the first time or increased giving, and we're really grateful to you for that. Every year, our responsibility as a church is to just plan very carefully and strategically about how we are to use the resources that God has given us for the coming year. And that might be what some of us individually or as households need to do. Some of you, uh, because of changes in your circumstances, you might need to do that and actually reduce your giving Maybe you need to reduce the amount you're serving as well because of things that are going on in your life at the moment. But others of us, God may be calling us to increase our giving or to take up new opportunities to serve in some way. And so Jesus is challenging us this morning uh, to come to him with open hands, to come to him with all that we have and all that we are. And he's calling us to surrender our all to him, to surrender our pride, the pride that stops us coming to him first in prayer, to surrender to him our gifts and our time, to surrender to him our money, to surrender to him our fears, the things that stop us giving and serving. And so we're called to surrender in prayer, to join with Jesus in serving, and to give generously.